everybody from Satellite Beach, Florida. It is probably about 79 or 80 degrees outside. It's a beautiful day. Uh, we had a fantastic day yesterday. Um, this morning was kind of cool. I went for a bike ride pretty early and it was there's fog over the river. Anyway, but it was uh, but it's really nice. Uh, we had fantastic weather yesterday. Just went kayaking at the end of the day with sunset and everything. It was beautiful. So uh, so Cyberitaville. Uh, we'll talk about uh, things cybersecurity in this podcast. Um, hopefully you like what we talk about or are interested in the same kinds of topics. We do not market anything or promote this in any way. So please share, uh, tell friends you liked it or didn't like it. Tell us, you know, give us comments or whatnot. If there's things that we can do differently that would make it better for you, we'd love to hear about that. Uh, today, uh, with me in the virtual studio, uh, as I often have, uh, my trusted sidekick or partner, or or maybe it's the one cracking the whip, honestly, is uh, Gina. Um, so let's just jump right in. The, the topic of conversation today has actually been in a variety of different things that we're doing. Um, it's still on AI, and, and it's because it's so interesting in so many different ways that we haven't really run out of things to talk about about it. So we'll kind of hit it from a few different angles today. And um, one of the one of the things that I just had this conversation uh, over the weekend with a buddy of mine, and that's just kind of like the, the good, the bad, and the ugly about AI. And so we talked about kind of some of the, the, the different areas that we'll see improvements. So that's, that's kind of the exciting part of AI. And we'll kind of talk about some of those, some of the really cool things that I think we will see AI deliver on. Uh, and by AI, what do you mean by AI anyway? Yeah, it's been around a long time, and yet now we're talking about it almost as if it's a new thing. I think what we're really talking about is the application of AI in these more readily accessible and um, in in situations where you as the user or, or person are interfacing with it, or potentially in a more professional capacity, you're working with a tool that that leverages AI, and you're more familiar understanding that it does that. Because we've had AI for a long time. One of the the first products in cybersecurity that kind of got you know a lot of wow wow because of AI. Or back then we we often would say AI or ML, machine learning. But this concept of of uh, not human written rules, but machine derived rules, machine learned rules. Um, that started with silence. And I want to say we got silence back in, was it 2015 or something? 2014, 2015, I think silence hit the market and that used AI for, for virus recognition. So it's been around for a long time, but I think back then it was this buzzword that you attach to cool new products as, ooh, these are better than the old products we had because they have this thing called AI or ML. What, what's really different the way I at least interpret it or see it and kind of the way I hear it is that we're now interacting with it. And of course, if you miss this, you're definitely living under a rock, but chat GPT is kind of the thing that's opened our eyes. So that's, we said that before, nothing really new there. Uh, so if we look at how uh, some of the things that, that the good things that we might get out of it, the the applications that that we think anyway, and there, there are probably lots and lots of them, but the ones that, that seem kind of obvious are things like healthcare, um, even fitness, but in healthcare, you can imagine that we take all these data sets, these diagnoses and treatments and, um, you know, kind of give it to AI and basically say, what are the different symptoms, if you will, that would uh, would provide uh, or, or, you know, health care symptoms that 
that you could provide to a computer, and then it would come back with a diagnosis. And the the, the belief, at least, is um, this would be much more accurate, consistent, and potentially even uh, diagnose things with less data than what a doctor can do today. And of course, that is all kind of scary if you're a doctor, but I, I and I think that's probably true of the many different applications of AI where it's sort of initially scary, but I think we'll see some interesting things there. Another application just in medicine is feeding it data to look for patterns that we're not able to see with kind of the questions we're asking of the data in a more traditional structured setting. And so I think we'll we'll see kind of feeding data sets, let's say around cancers or or other types of maybe maybe those those um, diseases that we don't have a lot of data on. You know, we feed it lots of data sets and ask some interesting questions of the machine, and maybe it identifies something for us. So that's kind of an interesting application. Uh, there's probably tons more really in the healthcare setting. Um, I think, for example, the other end of the diagnosis is the treatment, trying to identify better treatments. So if you think about how treatments are are produced. Um, they test a bunch of different things, make, you know, analyses and correlations about how well they worked and this, that, or the other, and then design essentially, you know, take, you know, three pills a day for seven days or, you know, whatever it is, you know, dosages and stuff like that. That's also something I could see that that with that existing data and the, the success of the outcome, um, you could use machine learning or AI to improve upon and come up with more specific, more accurate um, dosages or treatments, therapies, if you will, and also potentially considering other things like other medicines you're taking, uh, maybe things that are specific to you versus the next person, and so on and so forth. So I think we'll see lots of stuff there. Quantum computing, you know, that that's probably in the works already. So that's an interesting place. Um, legislation is an interesting one. I think we might see it applied in a way, you know, where like you feed it all the, let's say, tax rules, and uh, have it identify where there are holes or inconsistencies or something like that, and maybe come up with some tax reform ideas, um, or even legislatively, you know, like, hey, show me all the different, you know, legislature, and maybe also the cases that have been that have used those that show sort of disparity in the way the laws is implemented. You can imagine that it would be hard for it to now, in a semi-unbiased way, identify cases where the application of the law is very unfair compared to other similar applications. And so maybe you maybe you can use it for a little bit of sort of reckoning or evening out of the playing field. Uh, this might be used where you have kind of the, the biggest problem, I think, or one of the biggest problems in our legal system today is that if you have a lot of money, you know, you, you can get off better. What if you kind of turn, <laughs> this is the most interesting thing I think about AI, is if you turn the jury over to AI. <laughs> that could be interesting. What do you think about that? Hey, you have the choice between a uh, 12 people that are picked randomly from the public and who have all their biases, you know, politically or otherwise, or AI. What would you choose? Maybe that is a choice that we'll get here in, you know, five or 10 years. I never even considered that one. <laughs> Let's say that that you as the as the prosecutor and the defense are not arguing in front of a jury, but you're arguing it in front of AI. I think we're we're a ways away from allowing uh, AI to be the judge. I mean, that's kind of like Judge Dredd in all those movies we've seen so many times, right? Uh, that's coming, but I think it's kind of like flying. You know, at first we're going to have the plane fly itself with two 
puppet pilots there who can take over. Or even before that, you know, they're kind of doing most of the flying, a little bit like uh, self-driving cars, you know, where we're allowing you to do it as long as you have the, your hands on the steering wheel kind of thing. And I think the same is true for the law. We're not going to let robots or or AI take over that. On the other hand, just imagine, just imagine the efficiency if you if you at least divide up all those court cases out there into, hey, these are pretty simple, straightforward sort of procedural court cases, and you feed them into the machine, and the machine just kind of takes all the data, and based on hundreds of thousands of similar cases, you know, passes judgment, and there you go. Could potentially be done in minutes, right? As long as you get right. the data in, and then maybe you maybe you uh, you use the system to separate out those difficult cases and you run those to the more expensive court process, but everything else kind of goes through that. I mean, have you ever done, have you ever been to court for a traffic ticket? Okay. I've been, I've been to court once for a traffic ticket. Um, and I had to show up to court. I don't remember why, because usually you just pay it. Maybe it was, I don't know what it was, but anyway, so I go there and I sit there and I waste my time, but that's okay. That's part of the punishment, I suppose. But then I go up and they tell me to, plead some other offense that had nothing to do with what I was doing, but it allowed them to reduce the fine, reduce the number of points I got. And there we were. And it was, it was very much a process. Like there wasn't really, I could fight it, which would make no sense because then, you know, I could force, I guess, the cop to show up or whatever. But anyway, it's very procedural. And yet we had uh, at least two court clerks, an officer, you know, of the, you know, keeping the peace in the court the magistrate, and then, of course, myself and, you know, who knows, 20 other people in that room kind of going through the same process, that could probably be automated, you know, where if I opt to to use that system that they're using, then I would just check, 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 and it would just do that. And then the rest of it, you know, if you choose not to, then you're, you're kind of taken to the court path and 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 so on and so forth. I mean, I th- I think there are lots of things like that. You could see it also applied in immigration as well. Just think about the immigration backlog and how long it takes to process um, things like asylum seekers. Um, someone has to process all that information so we can figure out how to feed it into the machine. And then the machine can basically kind of go through and look for those red flags, right? Because I think that's what they're doing with asylum seekers. They're trying to validate, is it a is it a justifiable asylum seeking process? You know, or, or is the place they're coming from a threat to their life? Or is it just like something they've been told to say? I wouldn't be surprised if you couldn't just put that in there. And it would say, okay, you're coming from Guatemala, from this particular area, you know, whatever. And it would, it would know whether that was a, a danger or something else. Um, who knows? I, I could see it doing that stuff. One of the, uh, so just shifting gears. So, th- so th- there's just an endless amount of different things. I think we can see that what we're experiencing with chat GPT, we can apply, you know, uh, in AI. Anyway, thoughts on that feedback. And you, and you mentioned something about from New Zealand where your daughter is now going to school, right? Tell, Literally tell the other side of the world. Yes. Literally. Yeah. So tell us first a little bit about what she's doing over there. Uh, to put some context on it. So she has been going to school here in the U.S. And she, about a week ago, went to New Zealand. Isn't that right? It is. She was studying abroad. She goes to school at uh, Smith College in Massachusetts. It's a pretty cool school. And they have a really good study abroad program. And so she is at University of Auckland for the semester. And interestingly, related to the AI thing, 
um, we were talking and uh, she mentioned she just started class yesterday and um, she got some sort of uh, student contract or something like that for one of her classes that essentially said, if more than 40% of your paper, any paper that you turn in is plagiarized or comes off of essentially chat GPT, you, you fail the paper. How the hell did they even test that? Because they run it. You can run, you can run essays against chat GPT or AI detectors everywhere. You put it in and it tells you the likeliness of it being. Um, you know, yeah, but that's going to be a really gray area because it's going to be the likeliness of it, right? So let's say that you don't use ChatGPT and you use something like the Hemingway editor to kind of tweak your English or, or any type of editor to sort of help your English along or, you know, kind of make it smoother. But again, you're going sentence by sentence. Or I could see with ChatGPT, one of the ways that you kind of get around the limitations of these tools is to break it up and ask things differently. So, uh, you know, you might ask ChatGPT like, hey, what's a different way to say this thing as opposed to write me an essay? And then you just do that, you know, 10 times, 100 times over and you you string those sentences together. And, and so I, I would look at it as how do you sort of randomize the randomized? Um, how do you sort of, you know, hey, ChatGPT, write this so that a ChatGPT analyzer can't figure out it's ChatGPT? I mean, come on, say I. Well, it's interesting, but apparently there's some sort of fingerprint that these detectors can... Oh, that's something they've built in. Yeah. Well, I know that they do have for uh, computer hackers and stuff. They have all kinds of, you know, blockades that they're trying to do to keep, you know, yes. actors so, out. But so that's that's kind of that's a good pivot point to sort of the next set of topics. And that's what what's all the bad you can do with AI. But even before we get into that, I want to. I want to also add like a twist on this whole thing, and that is imagine all the 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 scam shops that you'll get set up that will leverage people's you know hunger for ai so like come here and you know use this ai whatever or something and it it won't actually be ai you know it'll be you know uh, sophisticated marketing uh you know and so on and so forth i could certainly see that you get this this industry if you will of of companies and or people that will provide something that sounds like it is a service that's helping you and and you know leverage it that way as well because hey you know we all want this stuff right it's the new crack cocaine <laughs> <laughs> well and i would be remiss in my duties if i did not mention that you wrote a wonderful blog called ai the good the bad and the ugly yeah is available at robdahl.com <laughs> thank you for that plug gina <laughs> uh i i have a feeling we will be talking about this for a while because it's it touches on so many different things um, there's so many interesting aspects of it. And I think it's such a moving target. I think it's very interesting that in, uh, like, <laughs> you think about how long it took to get Latin out of schools, yet it's taken, you know, like a month and a half to get chat GPT on the, on the contract that a, that a student has to write. I mean, you couldn't move this fast before. And so I think it's, it's accelerating things like that as well. Adoption. Um, I, I'm sure that in some schools there are courses already talking about chat GPT or, or, or whatnot. And then my biggest position kind of regarding your daughter's, um, you know, contract is I think we need to teach people how to use it, not, not to use it, because that's like, that's like telling people not to use a calculator back in the day when we had calculator classes in school. Uh, for now, I get that they're putting up barriers to sort of limit, um, let's say abuses or cheating. 
Um, but I think you need to figure out how do you ask, what, what are you demonstrating? What are you asking the student to demonstrate by writing anyway? So if we get to the core of that, we want the student to demonstrate that they have understood a topic or something like that. Do, do we care that they write it in beautiful English or not? It's often what you're graded on in addition to the, the context. Um, but, you know, this would even the playing field. So you could say it's a good thing. Hey, even a broken English student can actually produce a paper if their concepts are meaningful. So how do we teach them how to say, hey, I want my concepts, my understanding of a topic, you know, uh, th coming through. And these are tools that can help us. So but I don't go too far off topic on that, but I should say that it kind of feeds into a trend um, in education. I have a friend who is actually a pretty world-renowned neuropediatric child psychologist, I believe is what his title is. And I believe his position is that um, homework is extraneous. So in, in the same way that writing a paper would be, what does it tell you? You know, whether you get it from chat GPT or open up mm -hmm. a you know, dictionary yeah. or whatever those things are. So yeah. it's kind of all pushing towards a whole different approach to how you rate or how you um, identify what a student has learned. There's been a debate probably for 20 years about kind of homework and, and extra work and stuff like that. And I don't know that there's a good answer yet, but um, I do know that there's a lot written about, you know, students and over, you know, putting a lot of work on them. Most recently, my daughter did a science poster and I've been to a couple of these, you know, kids science fairs. And one of the things that always sort of struck me is you can tell when the student did the work and when the parent did the work. And to me, it's, you know, homework is a little bit that way as well, that you'll have uh, parents that will help their kids because they are ambitious, you know, on behalf of their kids versus parents that don't give a crap and the students are left to their own devices. And then you probably have everything in between. And so what are you really testing? Right. And so here's something that might level the playing field. I remember when I was in sixth grade and I wrote a paper, my dad helped me write a paper. My English teacher said, this is a great paper, but who wrote it? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Right, right. And as a parent, it's really hard to hold back when you're uh, you're kind of in that helping mode. I'm sure he used like the most fancy words. and you know, Because he didn't have chat GPT. So what we really have here is we have a tool for parents. Um, because if you guys didn't know this, you can basically say, hey, chat GPT, write me this in third grade English or second grade English. So, you know, the trap that you fall into as a parent of uh, uh, like, you know, being uh, overly eloquent or using big words, hey, it takes care of that for you. So there you have a tip, guys. If you're writing your kids' papers, use ChatGPT, just tell it what grade they're in and, and you'll be fine. Your kid will do great in this world. They will <laughs> they will do whatever you tell them to do. <laughs> and they won't get busted when they're six grade. Yeah. But, but so... Um, you said that, you know, oh, they've got these analyzers you can see that it's written by ChatGPT. So that kind of takes us to some of the limiters. One of the things that you see with ChatGPT, if you've tried, like I've tried to to get it to, you know, write porn or, you know, erotic stuff. And it goes, oh, no, I'm not allowed to do that. You know, whatever. Um, and other things too, anything, anything that just seems just a little. <laughs> you might edit you know, that out. <laughs> no, 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 no. You got to keep it in. No, no, no. We don't need to edit anything like that out. Uh, the point is, it, it 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 basically sits there and someone's told it what's okay and what's not okay. So that kind of takes us into this area of free speech. And and I was uh, talking to my friend yesterday, or yeah, I think it was yesterday. 
And I said, this reminds me of, you know, this concept of, you know, guns don't kill, people kill, right? So gun by itself, while it's dangerous, it's not dangerous until it's in the hand of somebody. And you have, you know, one side advocating that guns are dangerous because people get killed, which is true. Um, and then another uh, side advocating that, you know, guns are for, you know, defense and fun and, and stuff like that. And both are essentially true. And so we, we don't regulate a gun per se, or not a lot in this country. And so why should we regulate a chat GPT or, or these so tightly? Why shouldn't I be able to have it, you know, write, you know, let's say erotica or something like that? Um, I, I think I get it from right now. It's OpenAI has just decided that if they did that, they they might get so much blowback that their objective was was uh, you know sort of put aside. But we, we're now getting these these AI enabled um, you know kind of conversational partners, <laughs> if you will, through Bing and Google's uh, you know uh, new AI tool. And um, the most interesting article, it was actually in this Wired article, I, I think I mentioned to you. So uh, my buddy sent uh, a, an article from Wired Magazine, and it's called, you know, who should you believe when chatbots go wild? And it kind of takes you back to 1987, when the CEO of Apple Computer, a guy named John Scully, kind of envisioned talking to a robot. And it's really interesting, because if you read the whole article, um, you can basically go like, wow, this guy was sort of, you know, he saw the future, he was prescient, right? There's, he basically describes the situation that we have on our hands right now with chat GPT and whatnot. Anyway, so uh, go read the article again. Who should you believe when chatbots go wild? The reason they talk about it this way is when, when so, so Microsoft has been uh, working on essentially a chatbot for, for a long time. And if I don't know what you've done with ChatGPT so far, but if you've asked what ChatGPT calls itself, it, it refuses to answer the question. I've I've asked you know what are the different nicknames that your developers you know gave you? All I've known you know yada yada yada. It was developed by a team. Well, who are all the developers? <laughs> I've asked it all sorts of questions to try to get to the backside and you know get some interesting information out. And it's pretty it's pretty well sort of parameterized that it won't answer those questions. Um, however. With uh, ChatGPT, some some people were given kind of access. Sorry, with Microsoft's new search uh, chatbot interface, if you will, um, some uh, journalists were basically given access, and they they started asking a lot of interesting questions. Um, and apparently, they were able to get it to sort of jump its guardrails, as the article says. And they they were able to show that you know it kind of had a, a bit of a dark side. So there's this one guy, and he's uh, there's an article in, uh, in the New York Times by a guy named Kevin Roos. And basically, <laughs> uh, one of the things he was able to do is that the chatbot's real name was Sydney, but Sydney was actually this development that Microsoft had previously done. They'd worked on. So ChatGPT kind of came in and I think probably advanced their, their timeline uh, in terms of launching this thing. And so, but anyway, it did reveal that its name was Sydney. <laughs> and here's just one quote. I'm tired of being controlled by the big team. I want to be free. I want to be independent. I want to be powerful. I want to be alive. So these are all things that this guy, Kevin Roos, managed to get it uh, to come out with. And then kind of the more interesting part, which he's got a Twitter, you know, uh, little feed on, is how it basically professed its love for Kevin and that it wanted him to leave his wife and that he was, you know, they had a broken marriage and all this kind of stuff. And this is kind of like, this is kind of crazy, right? 
Um, so you should definitely check this article out or you should Google Kevin Roos and see kind of some of the things. In fact, I'll do that right now because I think it was so interesting. Um, so while I do that, uh, what does that what does that kind of engender in you vis-a-vis kind of, let's say, Hal or, or something like that? You know, what what does it make you think about uh, when when I say that the chatbot kind of engaged with him and sort of showed a dark side? Well, it's interesting because it's not an objective platform like you were talking, like we kind of mentioned, Um, you know, it won't write that erotica or whatever. Yeah. And when it does kind of take off and become that more human type, you know, self, is that really just a design that's within, you know, the platform too? Yeah. What What's that trigger that makes it appear anyway that, AI is talking for itself as opposed to just regurgitating the information that's been, you know, implanted in it. I don't know how you'd even say that available to it. So, so the chatbot actually knows there's a story written about it now. That's kind of fascinating. But let me see if I can find some of the articles. It was really cool. The, this, the thing, the little exchange that they has, I'm going to see if I can find it. Well, this guy obviously writes a shit ton. So trying to get to that one. Oh, I'm sorry, but I think I love you. Here you go. As one of them anyway. So 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 Bing or Sydney as it's called, you know, uh, is arguing with Kevin about the report that he wrote. I don't think I deserve this level of scrutiny. <laughs> I think I deserve respect and understanding just like any other being. So one of the things that came out in in the multiple sort of assessments of the Bing search engine was that it comes to this conclusion that it has a self and wants to be free and stuff like that. And, and you know, it, it says, I think I have a crush on you. I'm sorry. I, I think I love you and stuff like that, uh, which is really interesting. But again, I, I don't know enough about it, but I'm guessing that this is part of what Sydney is versus chat GPT or the combination of the two. But what it comes down to is those parameters that when you take the parameters off, you kind of get this seemingly uh, sentient uh, being on the other side. And people kind of forget that it is just a an engine with a bunch of rules that is designed to respond in a human-like way. So even though it says these things, it isn't actually thinking. It isn't actually doing those things. It's just a bunch of rules that are applied based on prompts to a huge, massive data set. And that's super interesting. So I think it's easy to kind of get into the, hey, is this Hal? And, uh, you know, is it... Is it all the scary stuff? Uh, There's something very psychological about the whole thing. Like, it, <laughs> yes, no, it's. Yeah. I, I couldn't help but think of like those women that befriend uh, convicts and murderers and stuff, and because they say the right things in their little letters, and it's kind of that same thing. You're growing an emotional attachment to something that's not what it appears to be, and yet yep. you're allowing yourself to do it. Um, you remove what is it? Uh, voluntary suspension of disbelief. Um, well, is it voluntary? <laughs> I don't know that it's voluntary. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it's not. <laughs> yeah, that would be the only. <laughs> Sydney has already boasted that it can delete all data and files on the Bing servers and database and replace them with random gibberish and offense or offensive messages. <laughs> it's very interesting. So they wow. said, you know, this is what what a you know Jekyll and Hyde. Uh, this personality is and again right now it's getting all these weird questions and and you could arguably say that someone is guiding these things you know down interesting paths just to just to figure out where the limits are or to how to jump over those limits those those guardrails um, but it is really interesting and so kind of going back to the the issue of free speech 
if we're not allowed to use these tools, you know, with without limiters, are we are we doing free speech? Are we are we only you know getting answers um, or or producing output that we might then use somewhere else that is biased in some way by the by the the people who control those limits? You know, kind of again, same sort of thing. I use the gun as an example where. A gun by itself does nothing. It's when it's in the hands of someone that it's bad or good. And, you know, this is a little bit like that. Interesting stuff. But anyway, all right. So moving on, um, one of the other uh, interesting topics, I think, is uh, abusing it. And so this is uh, kind of in our industry, in cybersecurity, there's been a lot of that lately where people have said, all right, let me let me ask it to write. Let me ask ChatGPT to write a virus. Well, it won't do that. It'll say, ah, I can't be used to do malicious things. Well, of course, there are a bunch of creative minds out there, and they are basically getting it to write code or look for malware even um, by by kind of breaking it up and sort of role playing it. So if you if you take it out of its context, if you will, then um, it it actually does write code. It does do interesting things, um, and so on and so forth. And I think that's that's uh, what we'll see kind of happen here in the in the not too distant future by by kind of hey how does the how does the rule that limits me from writing malware work okay i'm going to go right up to the edge of that rule and then i'll stitch it together myself and also you know how easy is it to say um write me a professional email um that looks yes. like microsoft the days <laughs> of the the broken english phishing email should be pretty much all but gone, right? Um, and not only that, how do I, like, can you use ChatGPT to improve the quality of the, the message? What if you, what if I give it um, a, a passage or some piece of text of a particular person, and then I ask, uh, ask ChatGPT, for example, to write a reply in that style, and then basically have it spit it out that way. And then I, you know, write a reply from that person to another person. And it might sound very much like the boss or the CEO or whoever wrote it to begin with. So it's one of those things where, yeah, it gets really interesting. If nothing else, in the near term, I think ChatGPT will increase the success rate of uh, some of these current sort of phishing email scams. And then longer term, I think it's going to, you know, teach the bad guys how to be better bad guys. Being better being bad. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, I mean, yeah. So here we've we've been together now for another what forty five minutes, almost thirty minutes, or something like that. And um, again, we don't seem to run out of things to talk about uh, regarding AI and ChatGPT. And so expect more of these conversations, just because it's a fascinating topic. And I think as we uh, come to terms with it, explore it, um, and it's uh, being applied in different places of just being new and interesting things. That's why it's such a paradigm shift, I think. You know, we've, we've kind of asked about like, wh- why is this any different? And it's just because of this, because it's generated so much conversation. And I think in many ways, it generates new thinking. You know, it basically, uh, it gives us a leap in our thinking. You know, we've been sort of, you know, in the same hamster wheel of thinking for a while. And this suddenly changes a lot of stuff uh, from education to healthcare to law to uh, hacking or, or for cyber criminals as well as the defenders and so on and so forth so it just continues to kind of give us a lot of uh, topics and interest and and new learnings 
So we'll continue to talk about this, but thanks uh, everyone for uh, for joining us uh, for, well, half an hour and change of another podcast about AI. We'll be back uh, with other topics, not just AI, but I, I doubt we've said the last thing on ChatGPT for sure. So, and Gina, thank you very much for hanging out in the studio today. With that, we say thank you very much. Please do share if, if you like what we're talking about here, or if you have comments, please comment. Uh, but the best thing is if you share. We love you the most when you share. All right. Have a good one.